HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If you're a farmer in New York State, join the New York State Grown and Certified program to let people know your food is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers, coming to you live from the high desert. I just crossed over the California aqueduct. Uh, it's been a raining. It's been raining down here in the southwestern quadrant of the United States, which is a great relief to all those who are connected to the ecology of this place through agriculture or spiritual connection, whatever. Uh, and I'm talking to Maddie Elling, who is in the northeast quadrant of the United States, running an amazing business, making kimchi and sauerkraut and various kinds of fermented products from the products of her own and her partner's farm in Massachusetts. Welcome to the show. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being there. I wonder um, if you could just tell us what inspired you to start your fermentation business. Hmm, what inspired me, or what inspired us, Abe and I? Um, we had come together in the winter of 2011, and we were working with a cheesemaker making his cheese. And aside from that, we were also brewing all sorts of beer and honey wines and fermenting vegetables and making tempeh, and we were just very inspired with wild foods. Um, the local food scene. We wanted to get involved in some way. We were ready to kind of build something of our own, some type of business. Um, and we, the cheesemaker we were working for, we started selling his cheese at a market down in Norfolk, Connecticut, right over the border from the Berkshires. And every week we went to market and we were just like, we could have so much more on our table. Like, what else could we sell? And looking around, no one was making sauerkraut or kimchi 
or tempeh, which is a product we used to make. Um, and so we started bringing, we brought a variety of sauerkraut, and then we brought our crimson kraut, and we brought a few varieties of tempeh cultured bean product. And from there, it just, you know, we started very small at that one market. The following year, we picked up another market. That third year, we built ourselves a kitchen, and then we got our wholesale license, and we're in our sixth season, and it's going well. It's been received really well, and yeah, we're in a nice niche. We've got a nice niche product, and people really like it. Well, I can testify. I really like it, and in those big, big glass jars, very boldly sized jars, which for people who are committed to ferment is the right size. It's like a gallon of yogurt. <laughs> I mean, uh, of uh, it's a quart. A quart. We, we yeah, we have pints and quarts, and they're packed pretty tightly in there. We really pack ferments in there, so it's a good, it's a good value. Well, and it's a really nice story that. Uh, working for a business, somebody else's business, and doing something that's not competing but using the same momentum of getting to market and setting up the table stand and um, kind of informal business-to-business incubation. So that yep. cheese maker did you guys a good favor, and it sounds like it worked. Whoosh! <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it really just – it really honestly came together on a whim. We didn't write a business plan. We We just finally wrote a business plan about – three years ago, and I've been fine-tuning it lately. Um, so, yeah, but it's been quite the journey, and it's been rough, and it's been fun, and it's been, yeah, it's been great. So you didn't write a business plan until you had to um, raise some money? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, we basically, uh, so the third year, that we had the business. We, we Up until then, we had been bouncing around commercial kitchens in our small town of Great Barrington and West Stockbridge, like church kitchens or random restaurants, and it was really a hassle. So we got to a point where we really wanted a kitchen of our own. So we did a Kickstarter, and we raised $14,000 to build out the basement of the house that we live in, which we rent from my parents. Um, and so around that time, yeah, I guess that's when we sat down and, like, did some visioning and got things on paper, you know, so that was that was pretty important. I would say at least to have your vision written down and hashed out, whether you call it a business plan or not, is, is important <laughs> to stay on track of what you so, really want to be doing. I wouldn't be a very good BFRDP grantee if I didn't ask you to display whether you were participating in any of these government-funded programs to support business development by beginning farmers in your yep. own business development. Were you yep. a participant in we, any we government-funded yeah, we programming? Were. We've worked with the SBN. What's that? Will you mind telling us a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's actually another part of it. We were working with our um, small small business network of Massachusetts. I think each state has them, and they are a super valuable asset to small business owners like us. It's free, um, and you meet with an advisor, and they help you kind of get on track. I mean, they help you with kind of whatever needed in running a business, and so that's when we were meeting with Keith. He is a retired business owner, um, and he, he was really the one, actually, who was like, you guys need to write a business plan, so that's your homework, and that's what got us kind of things started off, got getting things in line, and 
um, yeah, that's mostly what we've taken advantage of. I mean, we've taken advantage of grants from the state as well in the past year. We got an MDAR grant. Maybe it's a little different, though, from what you're getting at. Oh, that's okay. Tell me about your grant. I was going to ask you about your logo, but grants are also interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, we got, well, there's a Harold Grinspoon Awards that um, they're based out of the Pioneer Valley, and they award multiple thousands of dollars to numerous farms for a certain project, and it's in $2,500 increments, and that's that's up for um, to be applied for right now through the end of January, Harold Grinspoon. So we got that, and we took that money, we took the $2,500 to convert an electric, or to co convert an Alice G, Alice Chalmers G tractor into electric. Abe did that project, so we used that tractor over this past summer to do light cultivation at the farm um, for our vegetables. And then we also got a larger grant through MDAR, matching grant, and we used that to buy farming implements and various other farm equipment. So that was a pretty big deal. And there's just so many resources out there. There's our local food and farm advocacy called Berkshire Grown, and there's a similar one in the Pioneer Valley called CESA, and they just connect you with all sorts of other resources, basically. Um, yeah, we also got some grant money last year through CESA and the Carrot Project to work with a financial advisor, which has been, it's just amazing what's available out there once you start tapping into it. Well, and I have to say, to be Cabbage Patch Kid in the Pioneer Valley is pretty good geographic discernment because of the incredible wealth of knowledge, commitment, foresight, and funding for local wealth creation and uh, stewardship. And not every region, as I look to my left and to my right, that has such a wealth um, of commitment and capital to support a regional food economy, such as Massachusetts does, and but let's notice what will happen and how wonderful it is and what businesses can thrive when that commitment does exist. So um, I also think you are doing a beautiful job in presenting your project, your product, and um, and distributing it. I wonder if you can talk about how you organized your logo and you know what informed that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the current logo we have now is is pretty solid and it's you know our brand and what people know us by by looking at us visually um, and we got really lucky with a friend who used to live in our area here in Housatonic, um, John Potts, he's a graphic designer, he's since moved to California to Napa Valley but he did our logo for us, really talented artist and he did the layout of our labels and general branding and from there we've worked with a few other designers and we've tried to kind of keep the continuity of the brand but that's that's been tricky, like not having not working with the same one designer and wanting to add some other like styles into it. Um, always learning how to like stay continuous with the branding because that's so important. Um, yeah, so I feel like we got lucky with the graphic designer. Um, I originally designed the logo, and you can dig through our Instagram and find some old labels, and it's just a very simple, <laughs> hand-drawn, cute design, and it worked for the first two years. But, yeah, in that third year, it was we were like, okay, we need, we need something, you know, that's a little more professional and, um, yeah, just, like, sharp and that it stands out. And so, yeah, we're really happy with it. We get a lot of compliments 
on the labels and the brand. And so, I, yeah, we, we got a great deal. So, so um, the Hudson Valley is the site of pretty significant cluster of sauerkraut businesses with Hawthorne Valley and Seth and you guys. And then um, who are those other pioneer picklers? The, um, yeah, real pickles people. in the Pioneer Valley. Yep. Um, and one thing, as a as a as an activist slash hobo, I noticed from all my my travels is what an incredible regional diversity there is in the co-ops and health food stores, um, and at the farmers markets all around the country of regional fermentaries who are you know, getting a slice of this business and this booming business of ferments. And um, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about the marketplace, knowing that many of our listeners are not in the already saturated with sauerkraut Hudson Valley, and um, that it's a really good niche to get into, um, you know, many other places. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we are geographically, you know, we're in a great part of the country and even a great we're in, like, the western part of Massachusetts, right near New York City and also nearby Boston, so by some big um, cities. And, yeah, fermented foods are kind of all the rage right now. I think Whole Foods named uh, fermented foods, like, the top trend, the top food trend of 2017. So we're all, you know, doing it at a great time. It's getting a lot of press. Um, I mean, I feel like nationally ferments, like, all sorts, like, whether it's sauerkraut or kimchi or yogurt or kombucha, like it's, it's just it's all getting really great press. Doctors are st- finally starting to like recommend these foods as like healing, healing foods like medicine basically. And then there's also like it's kimchi is trendy, so it's at all the hip restaurants and um, and people are just getting really creative with it. And you know they're just they're they're so you you can make a batch of sauerkraut any one person and it tastes so different from like your neighbor's sauerkraut so they're just the flavors are endless the flavors and textures and the different vegetables you can use and the spices and the types of ways that you can process the vegetables and cut them there's just kind of endless possibilities so yeah while we have Hawthorne Valley right to the west of us and then we have real pickles to the east of us um, you know, we all make sauerkraut and kimchi, but all of our products are so different. And so I think there's a wide enough audience that we all satisfy. We're all doing really well. Um, and I think there's people down south in North Carolina who are kind of, there's like a few ferment businesses down there. And, and then there's some, there's one up in Maine and, of course, Vermont. And then, of course, in California, there's a lot of them. Um, and it's fun. We're like, I'm connected with a bunch through social media on Instagram. And it definitely feels like, it's there's there's lots of sauerkraut like like people pe- more people are are starting to eat it and starting to recognize how delicious it is and and how healing it is and so it's on the rise and I think it's the market is just growing basically. So um, you're kind of unique. Uh, well, you're not that unique, but you're sem- somewhat unique in terms of doing a really strong focus on an added value product that you actually grow most of the ingredients or some of the ingredients yourself. Can you talk about the relationship between your farm and your value-added business? Sure. Yeah. So when we first started, we just, we, we love growing food. We love working outdoors. So that was always a big part of the business. And, 
And the goal is to grow the majority of the ingredients going into our products. And like how great that the the ingredients into the sauerkraut and the kimchi, they're they're all things that we can grow in this area and they store well, like cabbages, carrots, radishes, daikon, onions, garlic. Um, and you know, we're not we're definitely not growing as much as we want to be growing. We had a rough year with the drought, um, but we have high hopes. And, yeah, so farming is, like, a big part of the business. They're currently kind of under the same umbrella at the moment, but we're looking to kind of um, separate them down the road um, just for... Umbrella business? Are you talking about um, business umbrella? Yeah, they're the same. They're this under this, like, they're the, similar, they're the same entity, legal entity. And so, yeah, yeah going down the I road, went to a like workshop to... where they taught us about separating them. Yeah. Can you talk I about think... what the pros and cons or what your considerations are in making that decision? Yeah. Um, you know, I think just with the business, it's kind of, with any business, we really like the idea of kind of doing one thing and doing it well. Um, you know, we like to have our hands in all sorts of pots, but um, I know Abe, my partner, is very interested in taking on more of the farming and doing that more full-time and and just with separating out finances like we would the structure we're thinking of and we're still tossing around different ideas is, um, you know there, there's just so much overlap with like okay we're growing the vegetables for these value-added products how do we account for them just lots of little details and I think having them as separate entities would kind of simplify um, yeah well, I mean, the other consideration, you don't have to respond to this, but I'm just going to put it out there. As a child of divorce, if you're running a business with your partner, if each of you have a stake in it, then at least if you ever did have a partnership change, you could adequately value yeah. the businesses and have your own domains. It might also be good for in while you love each other to have your domains really clear. Anyway, yeah. these are the kinds of things that they taught us in the workshop I went to. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's all very important, and there's so much, you know, we're, I'm just learning so much over all the years, and I feel like I'm learning even more this year. We're, we're going to have a big growth spurt this year. Um, you know, we built our kitchen about three years ago. It's, an, it's a 900-square-foot kitchen, and only half of that is actually our kitchen space, and the other side is storage, cold storage and fermenting storage, and we're going to be moving into a large facility at the end of the summer. So we're really, I'm, I'm working on some projects to really put things in place and to stay organized and to just make sure that we can do this financially and um, all of that good stuff. So it's, yeah, it's a really exciting wow. time. It's, it's, it's going to be a good year. So you're, you're, it's incredible, and I'm so proud of how well organized you seem to be and on top of your game. Um, if you're at, at the scale you're at, can you interpret for us how you manage your distribution of your product yeah. into um, other venues and stores, and maybe just real basics like thinking about if you were if you were thinking about this kind of a business, if you were not yourself and you were listening, um, what would be some of the things you would need to know before considering selling wholesale um, to grocery stores? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is that you you can't, like, like with a farmer's market, you can get a health certificate from your local board of health from whatever town you're in, and it's different town to town and state to state, um, but you can get that from your, for the most part, from your local board of health and sell at the farmer's market. But when you're selling to a store, 
um, wholesale, then you need to go to your state and you need to fill out an application and pay a fee and you need to get certified to sell wholesale. Um, so that's, you know, kind of the big thing. You want to be legit and you want to play by the rules because you don't want to get shut down. Um, so that, that was like the first step. And then as far as distribution, um, you know, we, so we currently distribute, we are very well distributed in the Berkshires between um, stores and co-ops, cafes, restaurants, like you name it. We're at a handful of, well, we're only at one farmer's market currently. Um, and then we're a little bit out in the Pioneer Valley in stores and restaurants, and then we're at a handful of stores in Boston and a handful of stores in New York City. And we do the majority of our own distribution. Um, and the places further away, like Boston and New York, we work with some smaller distributors. Um, one is a local Marty's, Marty's Distribution and then Myers Produce. Um, and so they run our stuff around. And we recently just picked up uh, Angelo's. And he's based just right in Germantown. And so he'll be pushing more of our stuff into um, the New York City area. So we're, we're getting to a point where we can work with distributors because the big thing with distributors is, is they have their margins so and selling to a grocery store they have their margins of course um, so there's that you need to make sure we can we're still making money while selling you know minus 20 to 30 percent for the grocery store margin and then working with a distributor it's another 20 to 30 percent margin so up until recently we couldn't really handle that margin but um, at the rate we're producing we've gotten our cost of goods down that we're able to still make a profit um, and work with people who can run our stuff around and distribute it outside of markets that we're not able to get to. And of course, we, we debated, you know, do we get a van, like a company van, and do we just hire a driver, and do we just go all around? And, you know, that's always an option as well, but distribution, while it has, from what I've heard talking to people, it has its, it has its pros and cons, basically. Um, but where we're at now is, yeah, we do a majority of our own distribution, and we're looking to scale up and work with more distributors in the near future, in the coming year. Wow. So um, i just been making a movie um, while editing the movie that we shot last year about the Crown of Maine Cooperative and the Cook oh, family cool. who started it and run it. And, yeah, talking a lot about the character of distribution in Maine, uh, um, compared to other places, but it's really, again, you've got that benefit of being in Massachusetts with small towns and small distribution companies, and Angelo's yeah. has really great loyal clients, I know, down in the city. So, um, man, you're in, you're, I wish that more land that is currently in soy and corn in the Hudson Valley could be growing cabbages. <laughs> That would be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully, maybe down the road, we can get more more of those monocrops cultivated in, into various crops for ferments between roots and cabbages, peppers, garlic. Yeah, Murata's business, the Crown of Maine, and the sister company, which is called Northern Girl, they have been focusing a lot on institutional purchasers. And... Um, packaging foods, cutting, washing, cooking, pre-cooking, and pre-chopping, and then freezing um, more That's of those awesome. staple crops for, nice. for um, institutional buyers. Um, That's okay, great. So, 
Yeah, it's really great. It's a really great model, and it's really amazing, and especially a region which was so devoted to potatoes up in Arusta County, such a monoculture of potatoes, that they are really making it possible for other crops to be grown and for a greater diversity on the landscape. And so, you know, the hope would be similarly that as this fermenting and fermentaries um, succeed, not that you'd ever become like Chobani, but that there would be kind of a Chobani effect of demand for fermentable vegetables as opposed to just commodity cattle feed. Yep. One can, sure. one can always hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we don't have very hope. much time left, but I wanted to give you a chance to um, either recommend any reading that's been inspiring or give a call out or an announcement or whatever you wanted to get off your chest. Now oh, might be cool. your time. Okay. I mean, as far as reading, I'm sure a lot of people may or may not know of Sander Katz as kind of the guru of fermentation in America. He has lots of great books, Wild Fermentation and the Art of Fermentation. There's also a great couple in the Pacific Northwest who wrote a book called, I think it's just called Fermented Vegetables, um, all sorts of really awesome recipes. There's so many great books out there and then so many great resources on the Internet. Lots of fun stuff to follow on Instagram. Um, what else? So we also we headed up the Berkshire Ferment Fest here in the Berkshires this past summer. We put on our second Ferment Fest, and there will be a third annual one coming up next fall, 2017. Um, and I had that up with my friend Michelle Kaplan, who's another. She teaches fermentation in the area. She's a great community organizer. And so, yeah, you can check Berkshire Ferments out online. We have a little website. We also have a Facebook page um, to stay updated. If there's any fermenters out there that want to come and vend um, or teach a workshop or just come and peruse and meet other fermenters and taste awesome products, yeah, it's, there's all sorts of workshops at the festival, vendors selling fermented foods and, and fun stuff. Um, and well, and else? there's fermentation festivals um, all over. I know there's a Boston Fermentation Festival, That's too. That's right, yeah. Yeah, the Boston Ferment Fest has been going on. I think it's in its fifth, it was its fifth year or sixth year. We've been there at that one since the beginning. There's a few up in Vermont. Um, I mean, they're all, yeah, they're popping up all over. So look up your local Ferment Fest and be sure to get involved in that if you're interested in that, that fun stuff. Yeah, it's a great it's a great scene, and there's so many great businesses out there making awesome fermented foods. And yeah, I love fermented foods. Um, I eat sauerkraut and kimchi almost on every meal. And yeah, eat more kraut. Eat more That's kraut. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for um, giving us some of the basics of what it takes to run a, a poster child fermentation business, and um, I'm always so happy when I see it on the shelf, and um, and I know that as more and more of us are suffering with Lyme disease or with gut problems, that there's actually mm -hmm. probably going to be just more and more demand for yeah, fermented for sure. products in the future, and yep. if we can get ahead of that and have this be a sector that's much more of a regional, regional producers and um, owner-operated businesses and paying for seconds from farmers. There's, it's a really, you know, this is, it's not as good as kerosene, but I think it's um, probably a pretty good business that we should focus on as a young farmers movement. So I'm gonna 
leave my, leave it there and remind everyone that this is the week that the um, almanacs are shipped and they're shipping and they're being shipped and you should make sure that one gets shipped to you. It's um, about 100 people contributed to this almanac and it's big and hefty and beautiful and 2017 and our next issue is going to be in 2019 and so I'm already trying to solicit uh, articles. So if you get an email from me or other Greenhorn people and you're qualified to write an essay, um, please do it. Thank you so much, Maddie, for joining. Yeah, it was, that was fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening, and thank you all for supporting Heritage Radio Network, our tireless producers. Signing off. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.